Welcome to this month's ianabernetti.com podcast. In this month's podcast, we'll be revisiting the subject of kata-based sparring. Hello, uh, I'm Ian Abernethy, and this month we're going to be discussing uh, kata-based sparring. Um, well, revisiting the subject, actually, because we have done podcasts on it previously. Uh, whereas those podcasts kind of give a general overview, this month's uh, I want to get more specific and explain the principles of kata-based sparring so that next month we can discuss uh, specific drills and, and, and uh, explore how we can take kata-based sparring into our own training. Uh, and the reason as well I also want to come back to is it's such an important subject um, because without the live training, I don't think kata really will ever work. You know, it's, it's an important thing to, 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 to do, an important thing to, to understand. And for most people, they just can't see how kata and sparring can be linked. They just view them as completely different things. And that's essentially down to the way that we view um, kata and what we think it is and what it's for. And obviously the way we view sparring and what we think it is and what it's for. So hopefully in this month's podcast, we'll kind of challenge a few uh, a few assumptions and uh, hopefully make... Uh, an understanding of uh, of kata based sparring make it all a little bit clearer so before we get into it just a couple of quick uh, announcements well one main one really just um the jison magazine uh jison of course being japanese for actual combat uh, that was launched last month um the second issue of it was launched last month uh, really happy with the the feedback we're getting on the magazine we're getting you know several thousand uh, downloads already um it's it, I, I hoped that um a magazine specifically aimed at the prag uh, pragmatic traditionalist would be popular and it's <laughs> it's good to be proved right um yeah so thanks to everyone who uh, has downloaded it and for everyone who spread the word about it uh, too um if you haven't already checked it out you can obviously download it from ianabernethy.com as well as from uh, other places and yeah i think that's mainly all i want to mention in the introduction uh, this month so i'll uh, i'll be quiet and i'll let you uh, get into the main body of this month's podcast which is on the principles of kata-based sparring in this podcast i'd like to revisit the important subject of kata-based sparring and discuss it in uh, more detail than perhaps we have previously um, I hope to further your understanding of kata-based sparring and perhaps also clear up a few misunderstandings that may exist about this uh, this subject. Um, so as a quick recap for those that don't know, kata-based sparring, or KBS for short, is a term that I coined for live uh, training drills that are based upon the techniques and concepts recorded within the traditional kata. Now to understand how KBS relates to kata, it's necessary to quickly recap on the four stages of my approach to kata. Um, these stages are all part of a unified whole and it's important that people don't put undue emphasis on any single stage or all the stages are required to make kata uh, work for you in live combat. Um, so the first stage is uh, solo kata and sadly this is where kata begins and ends for most people. The solo kata as, as I see it was uh, primarily developed to ensure the continuity of information from one generation to the next. If you look at the history of the various kata, we can see that certain individuals will have taught a variety of combative methods and principles to their students. And then it was generally the student who created the kata to crystallize what was taught, both for themselves, but primarily to preserve that information for subsequent generations. Um, solo kata is therefore a physical recording of the syllabus upon which we should base our training, and it certainly should not be uh, thought of as the entirety of that training. 
Uh, as an analogy to help clear this, um, clear this up, if you were to study cooking, you would need some recipes to get you started. However, simply owning a recipe book doesn't make you a skilled chef. <laughs> I mean, you can't eat recipes. Recipes have no aroma, they have no flavour and no nutritional value. However, recipes give you the instructions to ensure that your cooking will have aroma, flavour and nutritional value. Uh, and Solo Cat was very similar. In itself, solo kata has no combative value and its practice will not make you a better fighter. Uh, those who criticise kata along those lines have a very valid point, although they're totally misunderstanding the nature of kata. Um, so solo kata is the recipe that tells us what our training should consist of. However, we mustn't mistake the kata for the training itself, in the same way we should not mistake having a recipe for actual cooking. So, having learnt the solo kata, not necessarily in its entirety, but certainly the sequences that we wish to study, uh, in my dojo, the kata and the bunkai are learnt alongside one another. Um, so anyway, having learnt the solo kata, or a, bit, or a bit of it, the second stage is to work with a partner to drill the actual applications of the kata, uh, the bunkai. Uh, at this point, I feel we need to make it clear that I'm not talking um, about you know, improbable blocks and counters from lunge punches delivered from 10 feet away. I'm talking about the true bunkai of the kata. Now, it's outside the scope of this podcast to discuss the evolution of bunkai and why so much of it is way off the mark. Uh, but for now, it's enough to mark the difference, and I'd recommend you check out the Bunkai Jitsu book and DVDs to find out more about that side of things. Um, now, the good news is that more and more karateka are currently engaging in practical bunkai training, but that's still a long way from uh, what we need to address the, the needs of live conflict. Uh, both solo training and compliant training are no substitute for live, um, live combat, live combative training. Compliant training is an important step along the way, however, because you need to develop good technique and tactical understanding in an environment where you will not be punished for every single error. Um, now, always doing things live is a way to learn, and learning from your mistakes is one way to learn, but it's a very slow process, um, and it helps speed things along if we can get guidance on what mistakes to avoid from our coaches, and in the case of traditional karate, from the founders of the art via the kata that they created to record their teaching. So having gained competence in the basic methods of kata through bunkai training, the third stage is to start to transcend the kata and practice variations of the bunkai in line with the combative principles on which the kata is based. Kata is designed to guide our training, um, and as mentioned previously, it's not intended to be the totality of our training. Um, to twist the words of Bruce Lee, kata can be likened to a finger pointing to the moon. As, as uh, Bruce said in Enter the Dragon, he says, don't concentrate on the finger or you'll miss all that heavenly glory. So the, the kata gives us examples of the kind of things it wants us to study. Um, it tells us, study this kind of stuff, and here's an example or two to get you started. But we shouldn't regard those examples as being the totality of it. It's something to guide our training. It's a finger pointing. So as another analogy, it's a bit like a maths textbook where um, a chapter will begin by explaining a particular type of mathematical problem and having done so, the book will then um, give you plenty of examples for you to work out for yourself, you know, and kata works in a similar way. It starts us off, but it's supposed to be something that um, we transcend. It just gives us examples to get us started. Uh, Gichin Funakoshi, who was the founder of Shotokan Karate, uh, he made his 18th precept, he said, Kata must always be performed exactly, but combat is another matter. And in uh, Nakasone's explanations of that precept, which Funakoshi endorsed, he states, uh, in actual combat, it will not do to be shackled by the rituals of Kata. Instead, the practitioner should transcend Kata, moving freely according to the opponent's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, 
Um, so for us to gain this ability to transcend kata, we obviously need to practice transcending it in training. And part of this will be exploring all the variations on the methodology of, of kata. We're not supposed to slavishly stick to the kata in combat or in training. As I say, it's an examples to get you started. And Funakoshi wasn't alone in expressing this sentiment. Uh, uh, Uzuka, the founder of Wado, um, he once wrote um, that it's obvious that these kata must be trained and practiced sufficiently, but we must not be stuck within them. One must withdraw from the kata to produce forms with no limits or else it becomes useless. It's important to alter the form of the trained kata without hesitation to produce countless other forms of training. Essentially, it is a habit created over long periods of training, and because it is a habit, it comes to life with no hesitation by the subconscious mind. Yeah, that's a great you know, paragraph that really does sum up the nature of kata to me. And, and Again, we see that need to withdraw from kata such that it can be transcended and it can come to life in a free-flowing way. Um, we therefore need to include variations on the methods of kata in our training in order to fully embrace kata. Um, this will help us bring kata to life, but it's still not enough. To truly bring the methods of kata to life, uh, we need to practice that mythology in, live, uh, in a live environment. And this is the fourth stage of kata training and the subject of this podcast, kata-based sparring. Now, I use the term kata-based sparring to differentiate this kind of sparring from what most people would term as traditional karate sparring, which, which isn't really traditional at all and is almost always based on the methods of modern competition. Now, the key to making our sparring kata-based is to understand what kata was for. Now, kata is not about a skilled interchange with other martial artists. Now, there's no reason why the modern karateka can't also address the square go in their training, and there's certainly plenty of benefits in doing that, not least of which it's a lot of fun. Um, however, originally, karate, and therefore the traditional kata that record the original version of karate, uh, was intended to solely address removing ourselves from danger in a civilian environment. In 1908, Anko Itosu, who was the founder of the, the Pinan or the Pian series of kata, um, he wrote that karate was not intended to be used against a single opponent, but instead as a way of avoiding injury by using the hands and feet should one by any chance be confronted by a villain or ruffian. Um, so that's quite clear to me. So the, the, therefore, for our sparring to be kata-based, it needs to accurately recreate um, a civilian altercation. Um, there should be no fighting at an extended distance, there should be no skilled closing of the gap, there should be no fancy footwork, no back and forth, uh, no working from behind a guard, no trying to provoke trained responses, and so on. A confrontation with a villain or ruffian, to use Itosu's words, is not the same as a skilled interchange with another martial artist, the two different beasts. Um, and karateka are often guilty of assuming that in a live situation it'll just be the same as the dojo sparring, except maybe a little bit harder or a little bit faster. Um, and they therefore devalue kata as they feel that the differences between their dojo sparring and, and kata show that kata is not relevant. Now it's true that the methods of kata are not relevant to a skilled interchange between martial artists in the dojo or anywhere else, um, but kata's methods are relevant to the environment in which they were created. Um, and we have to be careful not to try and bash square pegs into round holes on this. Um, so we should be utilising the mythology of kata um, in a comparable environment to that which the kata was created to address. Now this means that KBS, kata-based sparring, should involve uh, replicating civilian combat and also the escape from civilian combat, uh, either in whole or in part, in a way that is as close to the real thing as safety and practicality will allow. Having hopefully established what kata-based sparring is and how it fits into karate and how it relates to kata, we now need to move on and give some examples of 
such sparring and how it can be structured. Um, and we've covered a few examples of that in a, in a podcast a few years ago, but for these I want to get much more specific and cover things in much greater detail. Now, unfortunately, we're going to run a little bit short on um, of time for this uh, this particular podcast. So what we'll do is uh, we'll have a full discussion on the types of KBS that I use in my own uh, training and teaching uh, next month. Now, if you can't wait and you want to learn a little more and you want to see some Katabase sparring in action, then I strongly recommend you check out the Katabase sparring DVD, uh, which you can get from uh, com in, in all formats. You know, No matter where in the world you live, we have a format of that that'll suit you um so between anyway between now and next month i'd suggest that you listen to this podcast a few more times and make sure you get clear in your own mind on what kbs is and how it fits into the four stages of kata uh, you'll well be well placed to understand the various drills that we'll be discussing next month and how you can utilize kata bunkai variations and the kbs drills uh, to develop um free-flowing combative skill uh, so to quickly uh, recap um, to develop live functional skills, it should be obvious to all, but sadly often isn't, that we need to drill our skills in a live environment. Uh, now, the question of what skills do we drill in that environment is answered by the kata. Um, so, kata can be thought of as a physical syllabus created to record the specific teachings of various past masters that gives us uh, examples of the kind of techniques and methods upon which we should base our training. However, we should never mistake the syllabus for that training. So those who say uh, kata, by which they almost always mean solo kata, will not develop combative skill are absolutely right, although they are misunderstanding the nature of kata. Kata is not combative training. It primarily exists to guide that training, although it can also be used, obviously, as supplementary solo practice, but that's not its main purpose. Um, so as, as we've said, saying that kata won't make you a better fighter and should therefore be abandoned is a bit like saying good recipe books are not useful to cooks on the grounds that they don't taste nice. You know, it's, it's misunderstanding what kata's there for. Um, so solo kata is certainly not an alternative to live training. Indeed, it is live training that will bring the kata to life and allow its value to be truly realised. Um, so anyway, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this kind of introduction to what kata-based sparring is and how it fits into things um, and hopefully we've established the role of kata-based sparring and what it is and uh, next month we'll be back to discuss some uh, specific uh, kata-based sparring drills that um, hopefully you can uh, you'll find interesting and uh, can make use of Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion on kata-based sparring. And as we said, we'll be back uh, next month, now that we've set the, the scene. We'll be back next month to discuss uh, the details of how you can structure drills, what kind of drills you should be doing, how to build them up uh, gradually, um, how to ensure that they're um, also appropriate for uh, for all the different uh, levels of, of student. Um, yeah, so uh, thanks once again for, for listening in. Um, I, I know I say it a lot, but it's because it's I genuinely mean it. I'm always really touched and taken aback by how enthusiastic people are about these podcasts. Uh, we get a great number of listeners. Uh, I love the fact that people are out there um, talking about them on all the various forums and things and encouraging new people to you know come and check them out. Um, one thing, um, if I could be so cheeky, is to ask for a little favour. Uh, if you could pop onto iTunes and write perhaps a couple of reviews for the uh, for us on there, that would be uh, that would be great. Uh, preferably positive ones, <laughs> if you don't mind, that would be good. Nice few positive reviews on iTunes uh, will all help. Um, yeah, so thanks, you know, for for promoting the the, the podcast. Thanks as well to everyone who uh, orders direct from uh, IanAbernethy.com. 
Um, you obviously enable us to ensure we can produce all this free stuff as well, you know, the podcasts and the magazines and stuff. You know, that's all financed by uh, people buying the books and the DVDs. So very grateful for all the support and um, for enabling us to, to, to kind of get our message um, out there. And just really, you know, I'm taken aback and very, very grateful to everybody for all the support. Um, if you've got any feedback, um, as well as sticking it on iTunes, because you can always contact me at ian at ianabernethy.com. I'm always happy to you know hear from people. And yeah, I think that's about it for this month. Uh, we'll be back uh, next month, obviously, with the discussion of Caterpillar sparring drills, the specific of those drills. And until then, I hope you have an absolutely superb month, and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, take care now. Thanks very much. Bye.